Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. We recently put on a conference at High Point Church called Sexuality Everywhere. We were looking at the question, how can we glorify Jesus as sexual beings? In this breakout from the conference, you're going to hear from Pastor Mike Beresford and his wife, Estel, as they talk about the dynamics of married sexuality. Thanks for listening. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to have a conversation about something that is wonderful and scares us to death, sex. And yet you said it was good, you created it without shame, and said enjoy, and in your context, it's what we can do. And yet we're not perfect, so we mess it up. So help us just unravel a few things and and hopefully take something a way that um, lessens anxiety, uh, gives us something to share with a friend who's troubled, or whatever the case may be, uh, may you be honored in it, and may we be more holy in our sexual beings and appetite and how we handle that for your glory and your name. Amen. I guess I can answer. Amen. This is my lovely bride of 41 years, Estelle. 41 and a half. How we say? How we say? She's a brave woman. And uh, what would you like to say? Um, she said, "Don't make me say anything." Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're glad you're here because I want you all to know that um, God is right in the middle of your relationship, wanting to help you and guide you along the way. And this is my husband, Mike. I call him Michael most of the time. <laughs> 41 and a half. <laughs> um, and don't start making any additions there, please. So, she was 13, yeah, we got Yeah, I'm you. sure. So, At least. Yeah. Um, and we've had a lot of different roles in our life. Um, one of the things that has burned upon our hearts for decades, so it has been marriage and the family, but especially marriage. And as God is God, he doesn't give you something to talk about unless he um, gives you an example in your own life and you have to walk it out. And God is faithful. And we are happy to share today because I would rather be who I am now than who I was 40 years ago. I would rather know what I know now than what I knew 40 years ago. And when I look back on our life, yep, there's ups and downs. There's challenges. There's things that the world says, no, this is the way you should take care of that. God has another plan. And when you look back on your marriage, you can see his handprints all over your life. That's a very wonderful thing. And when God says that, he makes everything new in our lives. He makes us new creatures. It's not a patch job that will crack off and take more with it. Nope. He makes us totally new. He says, I will make you a new creature. And he does. So I wanted you to know that up front. And since we live in a fallen world, there's not a one of us in this room that will have a perfect sex life. But just like a God 
He gives you tools to grow in your faith every day. He also wants to grow your marriage relationship and especially your sex life with each other. And he will provide. One of the things that we've experienced is um, along the way, um, I've had about over 31, 32 years of pain that was significant to the point where during a period she went back to school to get a business degree because we didn't know if I would live or not. Um, that's impacted us. Uh, Estelle's gone through a, a breast cancer scare and that impacts. Went through a double mastectomy and rebuild, that impacts. Um, a lot of things along the way that you know, like, how do we recover? How do we do this? And, and as Estelle said, honestly, it really has been going to Jesus often and, and recognizing that we're not perfect and, and there was never any claim that we should be. But we are redeemed and he continually redeems. Um, when I started putting the material together, uh, I was confident of one thing, and that's that this is crazy to try to talk about because every one of you come into this room with a different set of dynamics that has created your opinion and in your viewpoint about sex and who you are as a sexual being, your sexual identity. Uh, so for some of you, it's still forming. Um, no, for all of you, it still is because you're not dead yet. Uh, we have gone through, I don't know how many iterations of marriage. Uh, you have that when you get married. Uh, how many are married, no kids? That's one group. How many are married with preschoolers? There's another group. How many are married with elementary? There's another group. How many have elementary and preschoolers? There's another group. How many have got high schoolers? How many are empty nesters? How many are dead? <laughs> All those iterations are different and bring different challenges and bring different perspectives and, and are all important. Uh, when I started putting this together, I, I just started a list of all the issues that could possibly come up sexually in a marriage. Well, I got to the bottom of page four. I thought, well, I can't do that because I would just go through and list conditions, give a quick definition, our time would be up. And so we're going to have to approach this differently. And, and so we're going to try to, um, in that we kind of broke it down into to these areas. Uh, we may get through these today, I'm hopeful. Um, some of the possible issues in marriage, but, but some of the why behind them. I figured that was a better way to go to some of these things because probably a third of the conversations I have in counseling as a pastor touch on sex. Um, and rarely does anybody I think it may have happened once where somebody came to my office for a session and said, everything's just going really great and just wanted to let you know. <laughs> That's usually not why they show up. <laughs> and, and so you hear all the deviations of what's going on in people's lives and the tragedies that are going on in people's lives. And sometimes they're not too bad. And sometimes they leave my office and I sit in my chair and I just, I want to weep for them. And sometimes I have. And, um, and so it's complicated because we bring with us so much that has led us to truth that has also led us to falsehood. 
Um, it doesn't matter what marriage class you go to, communication's always got to be talked about because that's what we have to fix things. And it is how we approach things, how we're open to talking about things. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about when feelings wane, uh, struggle, and then uh, we're going to have a Q&A. I thought I would do the, the three by five card, and I did, and I just read through them real quick. And there's some very serious things in here. There's some not so serious things in here. But I do want to touch on a few of them. And so we may alter how we go through this a little okay. bit. But that's okay. Um, why are there problems? Because we're not perfect. God, there's nothing wrong with God's plan. I've had many, many couples come in, or men or women, and say, you know, what's wrong with God that he did this to me? Um, he didn't do that to you. How we approach it and what we come to it is is why we run into these things. Um, there's four books, I want to, five books, I want to just run by you very quickly, two of them especially. Um, and I, sh I should have put them in the notes and I didn't. This book on is called Hooked and it's all about the neuroscience of uh, what happens when you are intimate. And, and the chemicals that are released that, that cause bonding, that cause attraction, that cause a variety of those things. My favorite book to, to use in, in anybody that works with me in premarital uh, has to buy this book. It's called The Gift of Sex by Penner and Penner. Um, it's, it's a great book just to have put in your nightstand. Um, good theology, good practice, great exercises, good troubleshooting. And it's just a, a really good book. The, the other book that's a parallel companion <coughs> to that book is Restoring the Pleasure. Penner and Penner are um, sex counselors, and most of their work is with couples trying to restore <coughs> the pleasure back into their marriage life and their sex life. And, and this one's a step-by-step -step book, and they've just done an excellent job of dealing with some very specific issues uh, the, there's a book that they read or they wrote that I also like and it's Sex Facts for the Family and it goes through chronologically uh, teaching kids um, what things are like, it talks about infer for infertility, uh, adoption, uh, teaching a child, sex during pregnancy, uh, sex when you have kids around, sex when you have no kids around. Uh, and it just does a good job of walking through and then some medical issues as well. Um, and so there's some great resources out there. If I could encourage you to buy a book, if you're really struggling, it would be this one. If you just want to improve your sex life, it would be The Gift of Sex by Penner and Penner or Restoring the Pleasure. Um, one of the things that we just do as people is we blame others. And in listening to spouses, um, I think these are on your, your handout also on, the, on page two there. These are very common things that are said about a spouse. And it often points to something that's a need or a desire in the person that's you know, issuing the complaint about the other one. 
but there's also a lot of truth. Um, I had a buddy who is a friend, um, played for the Seahawks, and the Seahawks back when Larger was there and Zorn, those guys back in the early days, and he had a beautiful wife, but he was addicted to football, as you would think a professional football player would be. And one Sunday during a game, he had retired. His next year, he's watching a game, and she comes out in a negligee and stands in front of the TV and says, play me or trade me, and uh, got his attention because she wasn't in the marriage for football. She was in the marriage for intimacy and companionship and friendship and, and love and, and all the reasons that you get married. And, and we get myopic sometimes in how we approach things and we forget that of why we got married and what God was doing with this thing called marriage and intimacy. Um, some of the things that get us in trouble is just lack of knowledge. Uh, how many of you had the sex talk when you were a kid? Five? Six? Seven? So where did you learn it? On the streets. How many of you had great professors on the streets? <laughs> Nobody. You know, and we pick things up. We pick it up through, I was talking to a dad today, fourth grader, hey, look at this. Well, what was that? It was a naked lady. Comes home, goes to the internet. More naked ladies. Scared him to death, goes and talks to dad. Lucky kid. A lot of times doesn't go talk to dad. Takes him down a pathway that's gonna destroy some things. Uh, I remember being five years old in the closet with my cousin Mary. We were naked and not ashamed. <laughs> and checking each other out. This was new. And my mom catches us. Fortunately, I had a wise mom. Mary's mom wasn't so wise. I was told, oh, that's natural, but that's something that God gave us that's unique and special. And we wear clothes and, and we save those parts of our bodies for later. And and that was the end of my conversation. Sex wasn't shamed. My body wasn't shamed. Mary's mom was a little different story. And in high school, Mary had several babies, very promiscuous, and she always hated herself. And I often wondered, later as an adult, how much of that stemmed from us being in the closet naked. Wondering at five-year-olds, what's that? But there was a shame element that a five-year-old felt. And I remember listening to her cry. I wasn't crying. I had no reason to cry. But she was, and I didn't get to play with her the rest of the afternoon. And, and that marked me as, as a little boy growing up. And uh, I remember it very vividly as a man 57 years later. I'm 62 now. Three? <laughs> and so our knowledge and what was attached to that knowledge along the way brings us to our current bedrooms, how we handle things. That produces in us some things that we're not aware of. Um, for Mary, it probably brought guilt. 
a couple years ago I had a conversation with a, a young woman in this church who came in and she's late 20s. She says, I hate sex. Married? And I said, I'm so sorry. What happened? She says, I don't know. Been married for five or six years. And I said, do you want to talk about it? She goes, yeah, because I wish I didn't hate sex. I said, okay. So we began to talk every once in a while. And it came down to that she willingly participated with her fiancé in everything leading up to intercourse, but she felt used, even though she had willingly participated. And now she felt guilty. And it took conversations and extensions of, I'm sorry and forgive me, and extensions of forgiveness. And nine months later, they were pregnant. Um, something changed. And, and what we assign to what we know brings us to places that we don't intend going to, but the guilt, it can be anger, um, a wrong view of self. If you were told sex is bad, um, you're evil, a very Puritan expression of, quote, Christian sex, then probably wasn't enjoyable because it was just something to be endured to have children. Or maybe we have to step up, something to be endured until he's done. But I walk away empty. Wanting, but empty. Then we've got pornography, which has created incredible sexual anxiety. I've been frightened by the number of young brides or young fiancés ready to get married, not knowing if they can perform like they've seen or maybe expected to. We don't get to see the editing sessions of pornography. We don't get to see a 15-minute a clip that took four hours to shoot where there was another young, probably young girl, forced to keep that man erect or keep bringing him back to erection so that he can finish the scene. We don't see those, but that's the image, or in the movie, that we have now that I have to perform to. And I'm not a world-class gymnast. I don't even know how to get to that position. And then there's a little bit of weight, and I can't get to that position. And all of these things come cascading in on us, and they form our expectations, and they form our trials around sex. And it's, it's very, very difficult. Block erotic feelings, I shouldn't be feeling that. Um, why? Because of past knowledge says I should feel this. Oh, you shouldn't touch me there. Oh, but that feels good. So I block that. I'm mad at him. I don't want to feel good. And it becomes very confusing very quickly. Unfortunately, there's the past traumatic experiences. There's the assaults. There's the rapes. There's 
just the unwanted touching. There's the unwanted attempts at touching. There's the failure to say no, and then the shame of enjoying what you wanted to say no to. And then you get to marriage. What do you do with it now that somebody said it's okay? Um, just last year, talking to, well, Navigators went through a, a series, oh goodness, it's been about 20 years ago, a time when singleness was everything. And it left a lot of young people very confused because they wanted to get married. Um, last year, talking to some people out of crew, crew has done a wonderful job of really talking about absences and saving yourself for marriage and everything. And all of a sudden, it was the wedding night, and this is. I didn't know what to is do. it okay? Yeah. Can I do this now? And. And even though biblically knowing the messages that were inadvertently sent positioned them to have a wrong view on what was happening and what God intended for pleasure. Um, a lot of guys, especially, general statement, think that sex is a means to intimacy which is a means to ending of an argument. And the woman says, you're not touching me. I'm mad at you. I know. So let's... <laughs> and there's confusion because we think different. What do you mean you're a woman? And we approach life differently. And and sometimes those honestly get in the way of, of getting to where we want to be. A um, couple others, you know, just the basic differences between um, two men, two women. One defines sexual fulfillment this way, another defines sexual fulfillment this way, and they're both inside the spectrum of normal. And so it depends on the person, highly feely, touchy person, an analytical person. Their fulfillment needs are going to be different. But they come and they expect that the fulfillment needs are the same as mine. And they're not. And so you have to talk about your talk. You have to talk about your touch. You have to talk about your expectations. You have to talk and you have to talk and you have to talk. Because that's what we have to bridge the gaps. And in general, we men just are action-oriented, and so we focus on the sexual piece. A woman, in fact, this oxytocin is released in a woman at a good conversation, just like it is released in an orgasm in a man. Go figure that one out. And so she's wanting to be intimate, and what's that mean to her? It means a good conversation. And it means to you, sex. We were doing a couples retreat for young couples. Mm -hmm. And it was a beautiful setting. Uh, this was all glass and it was a tiered room and it was dark and it was romantic. And, and I said, women be quiet. Guys, define sex. <laughs> or define intimacy. 
And up in the park, far corner, you hear this kid whisper to his wife, the last five seconds before intercourse. And then you hear a whoom. <laughs> the elbow went flying, knocked the wind right out of him. Everybody laughs. We define things differently. It took me a while to recognize that when Esto wanted to be intimate, that meant a conversation. Now that conversation may well end in physical, but it also may not. And it is still intimacy. All of a sudden, I had to redefine my words. I had to redefine my expectations. What's been really interesting, 40 years later, is in, and if you look at sex in, in older couples, especially sex in men, older men, I now find just as, enjoy, just as much enjoyment or pleasure out of just pleasuring her or even having a, a good intimate conversation with her as I do with having ejaculation. Things have shifted. And, and the ordinariness of sex is wonderful because it's part of us. It's part of the dynamics of us. Um, energy differences. Those of you that raise your hand that have preschoolers, elementary kids, you know, four shuttle routines during the week, and your woman's doing a lot of them, you're exhausted when you get to bed. And he's like, tonight's the night. <laughs> and you're like, I didn't see you driving the car, Buckwheat. You know? <laughs> I'm tired. I'm going to sleep. And it's like, what? What did I do? Fulfillment differences. Um, I just talked about two differences based on, on age that I've experienced. You know, enjoyed sex here, enjoyed sex here, but it's a different experience for me. It's different, different things are fulfilling for me now than they were then. Um, and and I've, we've had to shift with that. We've had to say, okay, um, during that time, gosh, all you had time for was a quickie. Well, there's not a lot of intimacy in a quickie. It's fun, but, <laughs> you know? And there's not enough time to explore the, the variances in, in sexual fulfillment. I mean, we've had times where there were actually a, a spiritual moment where we've, mm -hmm. we've climaxed and, and prayed and worshiped. Um, we were both in tears because still. it just, there was such a heavy presence of the Lord there. And truly understanding. I, I know what that might sound crazy to you, but it was really incredible. Naked and unashamed, in front of God and His, as He created it to be, you know. And then there's times where it's like, wow, that felt good. Good night. <laughs> and then there's times where, mm, good night. <laughs> and learning to be okay with the various rhythms that you have that it's not rejection, always, can be at times, but it's coming to terms with things. We had an interesting thing last January. 
and uh, I we we didn't go to practice bed at the same this. time. We did not practice this. I have no idea what he's going to say. He <laughs> <You> loves me. <laughs> um, we go to bed at the same times, but it takes her longer oh, yeah, I to get ready to bed than it does me. Any guys have that phenomenon in your home? Yeah. And, and usually by the time she's ready to come to bed, I'm ready to go to sleep. And I can stay there and try to stay awake, but sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So I usually read. Well, we both have iPads and most of our books are on our iPads. And so I noticed that she would come to bed and I would be reading. She would pick up her iPad and she would start reading. And pretty soon I noticed that the frequency of our just ordinary sex life was minimizing down to once a week, once every two weeks. And I'm like, okay, there's a phenomenon here that I'm going to change because I don't like this. And, and I said one night, I said, time out, we've got to make a new rule. And that's kind of a joke. We don't have very many rules, but I said, when you come to bed, mandatory 10-minute FaceTime. We'll just try it for a month and let's see what happens. I'll put my iPad down. You don't pick yours up. We get into bed. We're side to side, face to face. And talk, kiss, happens, great, doesn't, go ahead and read. Sometimes I don't even open my iPad. And within a week, frequency had gone back up, conversation had gone back up, feeling of coupleness had gone back up. We hadn't done anything wrong, we just got out of sync with each other based on a convenience, an iPad. And so we have done that now since last January, mm -hmm. since January a, 2nd. A year on her ago. Birthday. A year ago. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's been great. And in this last year, um, we've really enjoyed each other. Mm -hmm. and, and it's been really been good. But there was an awareness that, oh, there's something wrong here, or maybe not wrong, but off kilter, and we just talked about it. You know, how do you feel that, you know, we're not having sex as often as we used to? Oh, I guess we're not, are we? And it was so subtle, there was not even awareness that frequency had changed. Well, with frequency changes, there was communication changes. They weren't as often. They weren't about certain topics. And so you have to look at yourself and you have to do some evaluation of yourself and say, okay, is this what we want? And then be willing to talk about it. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, male, female. Oops. You know, she talks different than I do. She listens different than I do, better. She wants to talk about different things than I do. When she's listened to, she openly, she physically opens up her body to me. But if I don't listen to her first, she stays closed. And I would venture to guess that most women in this room are somewhere in that realm. 
And it took me a while to learn to listen. It took me a while to learn non-penetrative touch. And then it was okay just to kiss, just to touch. It didn't always have to end in intercourse. And the more that it didn't have to end in intercourse, surprisingly, it did. And it's like, how's that happen? Because I, as a man, brought her as a female into the equation. Now, Estelle is a very submissive, gentle, wonderful person and would probably have endured me. And I would have probably destroyed her. Hadn't I, I, as the husband, taken responsibility for what was going on? And I had to ask her, are you fulfilled? Do you enjoy? Guys, you want to be, have a really good conversation? Ask your wife if there's one thing that she would like you to change. Because she'll tell you. And then you have to listen and do it. And to have those conversations every once in a while. It's risky until you realize, no, this person loves me. And they also want to enjoy. They also want to honor God. They also are in this for the long haul. And it's safe. Now, for them to be safe, you have to be safe. And so you have to look at the differences, how you communicate, how you feel, how you approach things, and, and meld those into who you are as a couple and how you respond physically to each other. Um, time, lack of time. You know, if you've got kids, put a lock on your bedroom door and use it. It's okay. Um, two more things I think, and that's one, parenting models. Some of the recent parenting models put the kids absolutely in charge. The mom and dad become servants to the kids. They got to be down at the right time for their nap, it has to be this long, it's going to be super quiet, they got this, 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 and it's like, are you kidding me? <coughs> kids are so resilient. I remember when she was, uh, Worship rehearsal is like on Wednesday night. She's at the grand piano and the whole band's going and our girls are taking a nap under the grand piano. <laughs> we only vacuumed during nap time because we wanted the girls to sleep whenever they were supposed to. And they didn't rule the roost. It was our house. We were raising them to leave. <laughs> and fortunately, they both did. <laughs> Success! <laughs> We had to launch one about three or four times, but she finally left. <laughs> and then just the voices and culture. Man, they tell us all kinds of things that aren't true. And so... Let's move it along. Yeah. What do we do about it? I just want to hit these five, and then I'm going to shift gears, and we're going to go to the cards. Um, not all of you, but most of you were probably Christians when you got married. And one thing you've already heard in the conference is that you take it to Jesus and you take it to Jesus often. 
you trust the God of your covenant. He created you and he desires good for you. There's nothing in your life that he doesn't want to make better. And that includes your sex life. It includes your talk life. It includes everything that you could possibly bring up. He wants to redeem. We are, at our best, broken. We easily objectify others for pleasure. And that's not gospel. Now, how does the gospel touch sex? Well, it's giving. It's grace. It's freeing. It's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. There's a lot of things that God extends to us that we extend to each other that brings about freedom of expression and freedom of enjoyment and pleasure as we revel in, in the goodness that he created sex to be. But it has to be on both sides of the, the coin, both sides of the bed. I have to know that if I'm struggling, she's safe for me to come to. So you have to be safe, gals. And a big part of that is watching your tongue. He won't love you if you're telling everybody in the world what a bad husband you have and how awful he is, because then you believe it and you treat him that way. The end of Ephesians 5 says that wife respect your husband. It doesn't say the same for a man. For a man it says love your wife. It's not what the Greek says, but I define love there as security, love, or security, trust, and affection. I found if a woman doesn't have those three things, it ain't gonna happen. Same again. Security, trust, and affection. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily in those or order, but Estel has to feel secure that I love her, that she's the only one I love, that everything I have is hers, that I will protect her. She can trust my words. I'm not going to manipulate her. And she has to know I want her. She has to know that there's affection, that there's gentleness. I'm willing 41 years later to discover her, enjoy her, put her first. A young couple, before they got married, he, uh, we're talking about sex a couple weeks before their wedding, and he says, how long does it take a woman to come to an orgasm? I said that stats say 18 to 20 minutes. It gets really quiet and he says, guys are a lot quicker than that. I said, yeah, for a guy it's about three minutes. He goes, what do you do with the 17 minutes? <laughs> I said, you enjoy her. It's called foreplay. But completely, you know, innocent, naive, but uh, Good question. Yeah. I think we should touch briefly on this. I have something to say. I'm going to come back to these, I think, because we'll, I think these are going to get that. All right. Um, 
just a second. I'm going to reorganize my thoughts here. When it comes to communication, I want to run through these. We've got about 28 minutes. Um, when it comes to communication, define the issue, not the blame. And really, that applies to anything in marriage. It's easy to say, you know, if you would just, and that's a good way to start a fight. It's not a good way to resolve anything. But if you can identify, if you can, in fact, if you can objectify it, if you can write it down, not coming through? Here, let me give you mine. <laughs> if you can identify something to the point where you can write it down, then you can deal with it. If you just leave it in your head, you're going to keep nuancing it. And you're going to keep changing it. And it's hard for the other person then to figure out what are we actually talking about here. Anybody ever get in the middle of a fight and realize you have no idea what you're fighting about? Yeah. And it's like, shoot, we missed it somewhere. So define the issue. Second, deal with the issue as a couple. Especially in the arena of sex. This isn't your deal. When you get this fixed, you can come back and we can try it again. This is something that is for you as a couple to walk through. It may be, the mechanics may be on one side or the other. The thinking through of identity or whatever may be on one side or the other, but you do it together. Because the emotional support is necessary. Three, take responsibility for your own stuff. If you're in a season of time where you're struggling, um, example, when I'm on a certain pain medicine, um, I can't have an orgasm. I can have an erection, but I can't have an orgasm. And until we figure that out, she thought she was doing something wrong. It wasn't that at all. I had to find out, okay, does this pain med do something to you. Well, it did. Oh, good. Relief on both sides. But I had to come to terms with, okay, so during that season, I've got to be on this pain med. Let me just pleasure you because I enjoy you. Is that okay? Well, I don't want to be the only one. Yeah, but I'm not going to anyway, so let's just enjoy you. <laughs> you know? And and we, it was okay. But we had to talk it through, work it through, figure out what was going on. I had to be responsible for it, and it ended up to be an okay season of life sexually. Um, express clearly without accusation. Likely it's not somebody's fault. It's an issue that we need to come together in prayer Mm -hmm. and in conversation, and in grace, and embrace it together without fault-finding, without accusation. Mm -hmm. And then openness, this is the other side of that. Openness is critical without taking offense. 
We live in a culture where everybody loves to be offended. Not in the bedroom. Um, about express, um, where you were talking about God praying about it. Um, I remember there was a time where I, um, I just had this one thing that I just couldn't seem to conquer myself. It was a, something that I believed or something that just kept coming out in my responses. I couldn't put my finger on it. It was so frustrating for us. Um, and so we began to pray about it, and the Lord revealed to me that um, when I was young, this was said to me repeatedly, or, and I believed it. And um, so it came out, and then we talked about it, and we prayed about it. We asked for God to heal that part of my heart and my mind, and he's been faithful to do that. But it was something I didn't even know. I mean, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I couldn't fix it. And oftentimes that's the case. You might not even realize what you're doing, what you're, what you're up against. But God can help you and guide you through that. It says that he is a very present help in time of need. And it's okay to ask for help <laughs> in your sexual life. I'm going to do what a speaker should never do, and that's go off topic, or not off topic, but off notes. Um, when I read these cards, there's about three themes that come up. And um, the most often one is desire of intimacy. The second is orgasm, and the third is desire. So I'm going to put on my pastor hat, who's a lover, and, and just talk to you for a minute. Father, I just ask that you would guide thoughts. Because disappointments in these areas are not your intention. And so would you bring your thoughts to, to my mind and, and let us hear from you for a moment. For your glory, amen. Um, Don't forget to share. Don't forget to share that statistic that as they get older you need to keep touching because it keeps... Intimacy, we've touched on a little bit because it always has to be talked about when you talk about sex because it's so well-defined as that as a portion of sex for the female. Um, but it's, it's the oneness that the Bible talks about. It's not a certain feeling that only a woman has. It's the sameness that a couple has. It's the oneness that, that draws you together. And so, in a marriage, there's, you know, Paul says you have a responsibility to each other. And he's talking on a, on a sexual framework, but he also talks about in, in variety of places that he talks of, of that fulfillment to each other. And, and when there's this desire for this oneness, this vulnerability that's safe from usually stereotyping, I know, I'm sorry guys, 
but it's usually desired more by the wife than the guy. We still have a responsibility to answer that for them. As it turns out, we have more than a responsibility. We have an opportunity to lead in a very spiritual way and fulfill a being known need desire that they have. And we all have that. Um, there's an interesting correlation that I found over the years of, of pastoral counseling in that women who don't feel or who feel a lack of intimacy also would state that their husbands show a lack of leadership spiritually. And many guys that I talk to say, I, I need help in being a spiritual leader. And, okay, what does that look like? And often I'll go to, um, how does your wife feel about your conversation, especially around intimacy? Are you willing to go there? Are you willing to lead there? Are you willing to step into that arena? Because that's something that she desires. And it's like, what are you talking about? No. I don't go there. That's a girl thing. No, that's a marriage thing. And, and so one of the things that I get to do, and I, I really think scripturally I can pull it from uh, Ephesians 5 passage on marriage, I get to create, as Christ created for the church, this environment where Estel can flourish as Christ did for the church. Christ didn't just have the church flourish in a few specific areas, it was flourishing in totality. And I want Estel to flourish as a woman. I want her to enjoy every God-given thing that God has given to her to the highest point that she can enjoy it, she can become. That's my responsibility as a husband, is to lead her and create the environment where that can happen. Which means I'm going to set up her success. And I'm going to protect that success and that try to succeed. I'm going to encourage her. I'm going to participate with her. I'm going to um, applaud her. Because I adore this woman, and I want her to be at her max because I'm going to stand in front of her spiritual father one day, and I don't want him mad at me. I want him to say, good job, Mike. You treated her well. I don't want him to say, squash, next. Because she's a child of the king. I want her to flourish every area. So I'm going to have to learn to talk to her, to listen to her, to ask the questions that pull out and create the safety zone and the trust where she can pour out what's vulnerable. What may be not even safe to her, I have to make safe room for. So she can discover, she can enjoy what God's given her. And it's amazing that when I spend time with her, 
in that verbal foreplay, Paul goes on to say, when a man loves a woman in this way, it comes back to him. It's as if he's loving his own body. It becomes, all things become reciprocal. When I take the time to give her that intimacy that I also enjoy and have learned to enjoy, I flourish as well. Because God created us in that, in that oneness to play off of each other. Now, there is an intimacy that is tied to the physical sex. And men, you have to learn how to navigate that. I've had too many couples tell me, we don't kiss any longer. And we sure don't make love. 30% of the marriages in America are sexless. Bummer. Because they're missing a huge part of the blessing of God's creation and his intended pleasure for us. Recently I had a woman say, why should I have sex? We can't have kids. No, because sex is part of the bonding, the way that God bonds you, the chemical releases that happen during a 20-second hug are enough to keep you back for another one. Now, chemicals are amoral, so these same things happen if you're not married, or if you are. God intended them to be triggered when you are married, and, and it's a safety catch net so that you can endure some of the things that you go through in discrepancies in marriage, discussions in marriage, hard times in marriage. But chemically, we're wired to promote each other to enjoy each other, to stick with each other. And, and those things happen strongest at orgasm. Statistically, there's a, way too many women rarely have an orgasm. Biggest reason? <coughs> Guys aren't patient. They don't know what they're doing. Thank you, ma'am, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Or there's unforgiveness in them. Bring them up. Or the relationship is such that there's something blocking. There's unforgiveness. There's uh, tension. There's guilt that's compounded. Or secrets. Hmm? Secrets. Yeah, secrets. <coughs> I know there's something there, but you won't talk to me about it. Or she won't talk to me about it. And all of a sudden, there's these blocks that we put up in, in, in place, and it affects us physically. Stress affects you physically. Both of our girls were born in June. No. Why? <laughs> because during those years, we ran seven camps in nine weeks every summer. Our bodies were exhausted. We had sex during the summer, but it wasn't until we went on vacation and got some sleep that our bodies worked well enough that she could get pregnant. They're born six days apart in June. <laughs> you know? And so stress plays havoc with you. And all these are factors that if we don't bring clarity in many areas to the surface, we struggle. 
want to say a word about secrets. Secrets um, actually become a weapon of the enemy because as long as something is a secret, he can mess with your mind. Really mess with your mind. And it inhibits you. As soon as you tell a secret to your spouse, it's no longer a secret. Instead, you've got two people that can bring it before the Lord, and it's done. You know, God can intervene. But as long as it's a secret, the enemy is going to wreak havoc in your mind and between the two of you. If you, as soon as you confess that secret and say, I want the Lord's intervention, let's pray about that. Would you pray for me? then it's over. He's lost. Satan has lost. It's now under God's healing and control. When intimacy is, is touched to the physical or attached to the physical, there's some things you can do. Um, you can practice some, I mentioned before, um, non-penetrative position exercises. Uh, a simple one is get naked. She lays back against your chest and, and the man simply talks and touches and stays away from the vagina, stays away from the clit. Just learn to enjoy. Simple touch. Find the other erotic zones. Kiss behind her ears and her neck. Rub her head. Touch her hair. How lightly can you touch her without tickling her? And then reverse. And allow there to be a reawakening of touch. A reawakening of pleasure. There's a lot of exercises like that. That um, both these books have a number of pages of, of exercises. And, and all of a sudden, there's an desire grows again because it's not that you lose your desire you just lose your fulfillment the expectation changes it's like you go to church you know church is a good thing but you don't talk to anybody you don't go to any other extra things you don't go to a small group and three months later you're like you know what that's really not a very friendly church you didn't give anybody a chance to be friendly back to you because you snuck in late and left early and then you condemned them. Well, it was a good thing, but you didn't participate in what made it fulfilling. And intimacy can be like that. We can say we've lost that loving feeling. Great song. But we have to extend ourselves into it. It's like the difference between sex and great sex is extending yourself vulnerably into it. It's actually choosing to enjoy it. And so you may have to say, no, I don't want to have sex. I want you to hold me. I just want to touch you. Let's put candles out in the living room and sit on the couch and kiss. Let's just enjoy each other. Let's talk. 
while we kiss. And pretty soon you realize that you're naked and I thought we were just kissing. <laughs> because Nick said somewhere, one thing leads to another. It's supposed to. In marriage, you begin little, but it's supposed to end over here. But not always. It doesn't have to end there. There has to be this willingness to, to give to each other. Real quick, a couple comments. Are, are we done at two? Let me look on their schedule. Yeah, I think it's two. About eight minutes. Orgasms. There's a myth, while it's enjoyable, you don't have to have an orgasm at the same time for it to be perfect. An orgasm can be equally strong, equally pleasurable, for male and female if they happen at different times. They don't have to happen simultaneously. If they do, it's a lot of fun. But if they don't, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and, and it takes time. Making love is an art form. And every time I crawl into bed with this woman, it's a canvas, and I get to find the buttons. They keep moving. They move. <laughs> Guys, we know what happens. It works every time, not a problem. Not so with them. God created them to be much more intricate than we are, much more beautiful than we are. And It's a treasure hunt every time. Yeah, she calls it a treasure hunt. <laughs> as long as guys understand that sex always involves discovery, you're going to enjoy things your whole life. I found a spot on Esto last year that neither of us knew existed. What a surprise. Just <laughs> <laughs> like, whoo, that felt good. Really? Yeah, okay. And, and you just keep discovering, you keep enjoying. Guys, it's called foreplay. It's not what you have to do to get there. It's what you get to do to enjoy this beautiful canvas called woman, called wife, called lover that God has gifted you with. And in your patience, you get to draw that pleasure out of her until she grabs it and then becomes very selfish with it and gets everything there is out of it. And you take delight in it and she says, come here, quick, I want you. She wants me. <laughs> and that's wonderful. It really is. Is the end all an orgasm? No, it's not. The enjoyment between you and the celebration between you and the recognition of God's beauty to you is the end all. And God has given you certain steps that if everything were perfect, there's no difference in orgasms. You can time them almost. But because we bring so much baggage and individual stuff to the bed, we're all different. And it happens differently. But we get to unlock that. We get to patiently, lovingly enjoy and discover and give that gift one to another. And it's, it's good. 
And God said it was good. And it's to be enjoyed. And it can be enjoyed as long as you have breath. Um, there were three, and I can't remember what the third well, I, one was. I thought of something I would like to say. Go ahead. Okay. Um, if there's an issue uh, in your relationship where forgiveness needs to be extended and received, um, it's very important to know that if you're choosing to forgive, that means that you can't use that as a weapon ever again. You can't bring it up every time it's convenient. You can't hold it over that person. And just like you know that you are a different person, a more mature person now than you were five, ten years ago, or however many years ago, that's with your spouse too. They keep growing. They keep changing. And we, it is not loving or even godly for us to put labels on each other that keeps each other from becoming. And forgiveness is a part of that by choosing not to hold something, a mistake or whatever it is, or thoughtlessness or a, you know, an unkind word, to hold that against our spouse. It just stops the growth between both of you. And God can change that and says that if we want to be forgiven, that we need to forgive. And I certainly want to be forgiven when I make a mistake or if I say something without thinking. Um, so I should do the same for others. And that was another thing that just really helped Mike and I is that there are so many one another's in the scripture. Do this with one another. Do this for one another. And one another's, there's so many one another's. But the first one another is right here. This is my first one another. So treat one, one another with respect. Okay, I will treat you with respect. Now we'll enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, honor him. Um, honor each other. All those things that one another is it starts with your marriage relationship. Practicing it there first. In closing, just a few comments. Leave anger, shame, guilt, and the need for control out of the bedroom. Come together as one and enjoy each other as one. If she's feeling amorous, nothing wrong with taking the lead. In fact, most of us guys enjoy that time to time. But step into your experience together freely. Identify problems and get help early. Don't wait. If you've got an issue in your love life, in your marriage, I don't know how many times I've thought in the back of my head, they come in and they say, if you can't help us, we're going to get a divorce. I'm like, why didn't you come talk to me six months ago? We would have had something to work with. You know, you've walked so far down the road that you've set up so many barriers and so many, you've already made decisions that this isn't going to work. And it's the last stop. Accept mutual responsibility to keep your sex life the best it can be. Invest time and energy into it. There's nothing wrong with putting couple time on your schedule. Now when you get there, you don't have to have sex, but at least you have a block of time that says us. I've been pastoring about two years and been married mm -hmm. about two years and Eve, my admin, comes in and she says, I just got the strangest phone call from Estel. Like, 
Really? She, she wants an appointment. Estel? So, you're supposed to be home at 2 o'clock tomorrow. I said, what for? She said, sex. <laughs> Somebody had gotten too engrossed in their work and forgotten they were a newlywed. I didn't forget that lesson again. <laughs> the biblical promises are yours to enjoy. What God has said about it, he meant for you. You can work towards that. You can enjoy it. Keep your mind pure. Sex is wonderful, and it's meant to be enjoyed as a couple. Not you and somebody else, not you and a piece of paper, not you and a screen, but as each other. Oops. And the last one was something else. Um. <laughs> <laughs> hmm? When tempted, run. Yeah, it says flee. Uh, don't hang around to see how strong you are. Get out of there. Make your differences work for you. Mm -hmm. One may like touch the other, not so much. Okay, then touch the other one that enjoys it. Uh, learn. Um, I used to be so ticklish, she could hardly touch me. Mm -hmm. I'm not anymore, praise God. <laughs> and we had to work at it. I mean, it was literally... Yeah, it was terrible. But then there was a season... <laughs> then there was a season of time when he was in so much pain that if I just touched him lightly, even on the arm, he hurt. And so, um, and that went on for a long time. So then when that was over, all of a sudden he's ready to be touched and I'm just like... <gasps> I can't do that. You hurt. You know? And it was just like all this, I didn't realize how how much it had become part of my. Don't do that. You'll hurt him. I wanted to snuggle, and she was afraid. Yeah. For me. So you know, it goes through seasons of time with things that are happening in your life, and you just kind of have to go with it, and then you change and adapt to the new thing, and try to help each other along. And <laughs> this is going to sound really simple, and it is. Kiss. Practice. It's amazing. There was a study I was reading last week that said that uh, men who kiss their spouses in the morning are better in the workplace because they leave with a positive attitude. <laughs> How simple is that? One of the fondest memories I, I thought have. You said, I thought you said that you have a better day. That too. Oh. <laughs> One of the fondest memories I have as a child is having to wait on my parents while they made out in the kitchen. <laughs> it was always a secure moment for us kids. Mom and Dad loved each other. We were safe. And learn to kiss. Learn to kiss differently. Learn to kiss for fun. Learn to kiss for passion. Learn to kiss for arousal. Learn to kiss for thank you. But enjoy one another. I want to just point you to page seven. And I want you to do this, please. Each of you, and then have a conversation. This is out of uh, The Gift of Sex, page 332 and 333. It's about sex. Many of you have never talked about sex to the extent that this page will let you talk about it. 
And if there are issues that come up, please call one of us. If it's more than what we can handle, we'll get you to a counselor. We want you to enjoy what God has mm -hmm. given you inside the sexual arena as a sexual person as we bring glory to Him as His creation. God bless. Thanks so much. Enjoy. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us online on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or otherwise share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways that we have to reach new listeners. So until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.